Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. Our goal is that this message builds your faith and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. Most of us say, well, Jesus died for my sins. And see what that happens is that makes him a wonderful savior and you're still a wretch. Oh, he is and he is wonderful. And I'm so thankful. And in in a general sense, he did die for your sins. But it was more than that. He died as you. In other words, the penalty that you deserve, the price that you should pay, the accountability that God would use in your life to bring you to judgment for your sins was all boiled into him, and he paid the debt. Now, okay, so here's why this is important. Because Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians, he said, For the love of Christ compels us, for we reckon thus. We have the word reckon in the Greek is we have done the accounting and we have come to all the parts and come to this conclusion. He says, for the love of Christ compels us for we reckon thus. If one died for all, then all died. That's what the apostle Paul said. That's why Paul would said, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Therefore, the life that I live, I now live by the power of him who gave himself for me. Are you all in the room? You see who I'm talking about? He didn't just die for you. He died as you. That means I don't carry the weight of burden of my sin and shame anymore. That person is dead. Y'all going to accuse a dead person? Leave the dead man alone. Let him him lie. That man is dead. That's why two verses later after he says, The love of Christ compels us, for we reckon thus, if one died for all, then all died. Two verses later he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. The old thing that's passed away is not the stuff you used to do. It's the person you used to be. Now, okay. Now, so with that said and understood, when we get to this place and we think about the irony of a God of peace who would crush Satan, how many of you know that though you've been saved and you've been forgiven and though you are a brand new creature in Christ Jesus, how many know that freedom is not a one-time act? Because the world that we live in and the devil that's opposed to us will constantly be trying to bring you back into bondage again. We'll be constantly trying to... Does anybody know what I'm talking about in life? I mean, a bad decision that you make, a bad decision somebody else makes, a bad, a downturn in the economy, a weak moment and you fall into sin. And if you're not careful, that yoke of bondage, the devil will try to put it back on your neck. You don't just get free one time and then you're free forever. I mean, you have the grace of God to produce freedom in your life, but you need to be freed some more. Somebody say with me, freed some more. As my, as my Cajun friends in Louisiana say, more freedom. That's what you need. We need more freedom. You might have been freed once, but how many know something happened since you got saved? Something happened in your life that wasn't good since you got saved. And the memory of that, the experience of that, the pain of that, the disappointment of that can become a yoke that the enemy will drive you back underground with. And he'll try to put you back in the cave that you got liberated from. But how many are glad that the God of peace has the power to crush the works of Satan in your life? Amen. How many are glad that he's not finished? 
He didn't just do it once for you. He'll do it again for you and 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 again for you. And as a matter of fact, that Greek word is actually translated, the one word is translated as a phrase in our the translators, uh, the, the phrase will crush is actually the Greek word soon trebo. Everybody say it with me, soon trebo. Sounds like a late night infomercial for martial arts, doesn't it? <laughs> Some kind of new technique. Well, in a sense, it is. And so I'm going to challenge you today to take the 2020 soon trebo challenge. So that's what this message is about. The devil wants to put you in bondage and he'll use anything to do it. Life, hurts, disappointment, mistakes, addictions of all sorts, lies, you name it. He'll use anything to bring you under control. But I think it's okay if today some of us say enough is enough. Enough is enough. No, no, devil, you misunderstood me. That's not who I am anymore. No, no, you still think that I, you still acting like I am dead in my sins and you still acting like I am bound to my sin nature. No, no, devil, enough is enough. I'm a child of God. I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and everything has become new. Sometimes you have to remind the devil. And so I want to give you today uh, a few ideas about some devil-chasing, yoke-crashing, bondage-breaking techniques in my soon trebo <laughs> message. Would you stand with me right quick? I want you to take the pose, okay? Look at now look out devil. I'm about to soon trebo you. Okay, all right, you can be seated. I'm about I got something for you. I got something for you. So where do I where do I begin? Well, let me begin where it all begins. I want to talk with you about the anointing. Pastor Bobby talking about praying and prayer and sanctifying this place with prayer and fasting and and you know what happens is what prayer and fasting does is it tunes you into the anointing. So let's talk about the anointing. The anointing is so central to Christianity in a perpetual way that Jesus took the anointing as his last name. The word Christ means the anointed one. How important is the anointing in Christianity if Jesus made it his last name? Well, that tells me that the anointing does stuff that is part and participle of the, of the reality of Christianity. Jesus means Savior. Christ means anointed. In the Hebrew, it's Yeshua Hamashiach. Jesus, the anointed one. In the Greek, it's Jesus Christos. It still means Jesus, the anointed one. So Jesus took that name and that identity as the very essence. And when we talk about the anointing, honestly, you can do a Google search because Google's kind of like God. It knows everything, right? So you can just, if you are ever wondering, did you know that 85 or 90% of young people find out about everything on Google? Everything on Google. I said everything on Google. It's true. I don't know that it's right, but it's true. 
So you can do a Google search and you'll find a lot of verses in the Bible that relate to the anointing. But a couple of three places I want to draw your attention to. The first was in Isaiah chapter number 10. And Isaiah is writing and prophesying to the nation of Israel and reminding them of the days that they were in Egyptian bondage. And he says this, he says the Assyrians, and he puts them actually as one person. In other words, he, he personalizes the Assyrians and their nationality as the Assyrian. It could almost be as if he is applying there is a spiritual strongman based in Assyria that is coming for you and his intent for you is to put you in bondage like Egypt put you in bondage back in the day before you were delivered. That's the context of chapter 10 of the book of Isaiah. But I love the passage when he gets to that point when he says, but the day will come. When the yoke that the Assyrian has tried to put on your shoulders and on your neck will be destroyed by the power of the anointing. Destroyed by the power of the anointing. You know what? When you get in a service and you begin to feel the power of God, what are you feeling? You're feeling the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you know what, what part of the purpose of that anointing is? Is to break the yoke that life has tried to put back on you, to break the yoke off of your heart and your life and bring freedom afresh and anew to your life. You see, the devil will try to, even though you're saved, put your marriage in bondage. And on this Valentine's weekend, let me encourage you that you do not have to live in hopelessness and disappointment and discouragement in your marriage. That is a yoke of a bondage that the enemy has tried to put on you through disappointment and pain and hurt. I'm going to tell you what, there's an antidote for it, and it's the power of the anointing of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the power of the anointing. Yeah, and so uh, Isaiah says to them, there'll come a day, I believe the day's come for some of you, that the Lord has brought you into this service for one principal purpose, and that's to break the yoke of bondage off your neck. He's tired of you. That's my child. I don't want them walking in chains. That's my child. I don't want them walking in bondage and oppression. I want to set them free again. Because, see, when you're not free, you can't live up to your highest potential. When you're not free, you can go to heaven, but you will never experience the life, the abundant life that God wants you to have right now. There's a lot of people that Jesus is their Savior, but the devil is still their Lord. They have had faith for salvation to accept Jesus as their Savior, but the devil, through a yoke of bondage, still calls the shots in their life. And that is not the plan of God for your life. He don't want you just to be free. He wants you to be indeed free. Amen. He wants you to be constantly free. He wants you to come out from behind the rocks and out of the shadows and out of the, the, the valleys of discouragement and take on the role of freedom and liberty as a son and a daughter of God. It's God's will for you to have a good marriage on this Valentine's Day. Some of us have gotten into patterns where we can hardly stand each other. And we'll come to church and raise our hands and the tears will flow. And then we walk right out that door in the bondage and we'll hardly speak to each other on the way home. That is a bondage and a yoke from the devil. And God wants to break it. I don't know why I'm leaning in here hard today, but let me just lean in on you on that a little bit. It is not God's will for you to live in that lifestyle. You need to repent to one another, forgive each other. You need to take it to the altar and let God break the yoke of bondage off your relationship. And so Isaiah first says to Israel, he says, uh, the yoke will be destroyed. And incidentally, the word in the Hebrew for destroyed is not just lifted off. 
it's pulverized. In other words, the idea of the yoke being destroyed is not just being freed from the yoke and it's laying over there threatening you all the time. Well, if you get out of line, that yoke's going to be back on you. No, no, that's not the intent of the verse. In the Hebrew, the idea is that that yoke is going to be taken off of you and it's going to be cut up in little bitty pieces and pulverized never to be used on you again. Amen. Amen. The second place that I want to draw your attention to where the Bible talks about the anointing is Luke chapter 4. It's after Jesus has been led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Most of us remember that passage of Scripture. He was baptized by John, and then following his baptism, the Scripture says he was pushed by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Think about that. The God of peace. Pushing his son into the wilderness. The the idea of tempted there comes from the concept of being tested, which in the Greek word comes from the idea of being tested for weakness. And he he is taken into the wilderness to be tested by the evil one looking for a break in his armor, looking for a a moment or a spot of weakness. He waits until he's fasted for 40 days. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've never fasted 40 days. I'll just tell you that right up front. But I have imagined it, and if I did, I'm not sure the devil couldn't just about get me to do anything he wanted me to do if a cheeseburger was involved. (laughs) Can I get some, some honest Christians in the room? I don't want to blow your theological halos off or disappoint you, but I'm just saying a Big Mac's going to sound pretty good after 40 days of nothing. The enemy waits. Sometimes the enemy will wait till you're vulnerable and then launch his attack. And, of course, we know what Jesus did. Every time the enemy came, he responded with a word, and we'll get to that in a moment. But after the victory of the wilderness testing, Jesus then is now led by the Holy Spirit out of the wilderness. And on the very first Sabbath after his coming out of the wilderness, he makes his way to Nazareth, his hometown, and he is going to preach. He's going to share the message that day on the very... This is his first post-temptation victory message and when he comes in, they hand him the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah to read from. Now, the reason they did that is because ancient Israel followed a reading plan. So every synagogue in ancient Israel was reading that same passage. Imagine that. That same passage is being read in all the synagogues throughout all of Palestine and the diaspora, the people where they've been scattered around the world. The Jews are reading this passage on the same day. They hand that scroll and he opens to where he begins to quote out of Isaiah chapter number 61, I believe, if my numbers are right. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Notice, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because... He hath anointed me. How did Jesus do what Jesus did? By the power of the anointing. So not only does the anointing break the yoke of bondage, soon trebo the devil, but it's also the power by which we do everything in the kingdom. If you're healed, it's not the person who prayed for you that had the healing in them. It was the power of the anointing that flowed through them into you. It's the anointing. 
He said, the anointing of the Lord is upon me, or the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me to preach the good news to the, to the poor. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance, and set at freedom the captive. So in this passage, we see that not only is freedom and liberty and the destruction of the yoke part of the anointing's assignment, but it's also healing, deliverance, and prosperity. I'm not sure y'all heard what I'm saying. I'm talking about, listen, you don't have to have more the degrees than the thermometer. You don't have, no, no, you don't have to have all your theology nailed down just right. What you've got to do is surrender yourself and let the anointing of God begin to flow through you. And when the anointing of God begins to flow through your life, it'll break the yokes of bondage in your life. It'll bring prosperity in your life. Your marriage will, it's hard to be anointed, both of you to be highly anointed and surrender to God and be fussing all the time. Okay. Somebody say, I get it, preacher. I get it. I get it. Somebody say, enough already. Enough. I get it. I get it. But no, I, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Late night infomercial salesman. But wait. You thought that was good, but wait. There's more. Acts chapter 10, Peter is preaching to the first Gentile man in his household who's about to be converted. And part of the evidence of Jesus being the, the Christ is based on the fact that God anointed. He says, and his message as he's preaching to Cornelius, he said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Now we have the words of the prophet Isaiah. We have the claim of the person Jesus. And now we have the witness of one of the lead apostles in the band. That how all this work was done by the power of the anointing in the life of the believer. That's why Jesus said, greater things will you do than I have done. How are we going to do that? I'm not Messiah. Because, well, you're anointed. You're anointed. Never underestimate the power of the anointing. I said, never underestimate the power of the anointing. Mm -mm. You can underestimate yourself, but don't underestimate the power of the anointing because the power of the anointing is the character, nature, and, and mannerisms of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he was anointed with, Peter says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth by the power of the Holy Spirit with spirit and power, and he went about doing all these things that we have told you about. Amen. Well, that's pretty good teaching for a young guy like me, honestly. I'm not, some of y'all thinking, I'm not sure he's old enough to figure that all out. So how many are ready for me to give you some Suntribo moves, okay? All right, I got to do it quick. All right, I got to do it quick. I'm going to give you some Suntribo moves. <laughs> Soon Trebo moves. Say that 50 times fast. What's one of your, you say, well, I, I know you, I believe what you're saying, Brother Brass. I, I believe it. I believe that the anointing can break every yoke. I believe that it can heal. I believe it can deliver and lift the oppression of the enemy. I, I believe all that you've said, but I'm just not sure how I get to it. How, how do I turn it on in my life? How do I access it? Well, there are a lot of ways, but let me give you three very quickly, okay? The first way that I think it may be the quickest way that you can release the power of the anointing in your life is through worship. Through worship. 
and here's why. There's, there's a, I mean, it's just not okay worship. No, no. There's something that happens very important in worship. You see, when we go into and the presence of God and begin to worship Him, there is a shift of focus from us to Him. You see, most of us struggle with worship because it's not worship we don't do, it's where we worship. Most of us struggle with worship to God because we're too busy worshiping ourselves. Amen, Brother Brassville. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. I don't want to front anyone, but the fact is in my life, I'll just testify. In my life, most of the time when the anointing is slow or shut off in my life, I am too preoccupied with myself, my stuff, and what's going on in my life. My life has to become too me-ocentric and me-centered. I'm too focused on what I've been through, what happened to me, whether it was fair or unfair, whether I got a raw deal. I have shifted my attention. And so it's a, whatever you worship, you begin to look like. Do you know because God designed you to reflect His image in the earth? Adam was made and Eve in the image of God. He created them male and female. Man was created to be a reflector of the God that he worships. And it's still true. You will begin to look like what you worship. Anybody ever been around somebody that they're just eat up with jealousy or envy or unforgiveness? And it's not long till they begin to look like that. It's like you don't have to even know. You don't have to know all the details. You don't have to figure it all out. All you've got to do is be around them for a few minutes, and you think, man, they're, they're looking kind of sour. I mean, some people, honestly, that, I mean, not in this church. Of course, there's nobody that does that. But, but in, in some churches, people will come. They look, and my granddad used to say it this way, like they've been bobbing for sour pickles in the bottom of the churn. You know, it's like. And typically what that means is that we have shifted our worship attention from the greatness of God to the, the sadness of our life and to the difficulties of our life. And we've, become, we've begun to carry the yoke of bondage of what happened in our lives. But see, when we worship, the atmosphere changes. It, at, the atmosphere changes when we're worshiping God because it shifts your focus from you to Jesus, from your circumstance to His provision, from your victimization to His victorious life. Regarding your, no, worship changes your attention to, from what you've done and what's been done to you, but to what He's done and what He's done for you. And I'll tell you something else that true worship does. It humbles us. It humbles us. Sometimes we struggle to, to raise our hands and we're, we're worried about what people will think. We're worried about what people, and I understand our personality difference. And the fact is we do have, all of us have different personality styles. I get that. So this is not a legalism. Well, you've, you're not raising your hands high enough. That's not what I'm talking about. But we all know. When we begin to step out in worship, when our first thought is about what people are going to think, then that's a clue that our worship is directed to the wrong place. So whatever your style is, to be able to come in and be able to worship God with reckless abandon requires a humbling of yourself. I remember a story told years ago about a little lady, and this is when worship styles were changing, right? When I was a kid, we sang out of hymnals. Anybody remember the hymnal days? There's a few hymnal folks in the room. Turn to number 342, first and last stanzas, and, you know, it was very regimented, and, you know, and, and God came in and blessed them. I mean, you know, that's, that's, I mean, 
But today it's different. And this church and this story was going through transition and they had gone from singing out of the hymnals to singing off the wall. And so <laughs> this little lady was hard, having it hard, finding it very difficult to adapt to that new style of worship. And she got madder and madder and madder through the worship service, you know. And finally, after the service, there was a young pastor there that was pastoring the church. And this little lady walked to the door, and she shook his hand but pretty firmly and with gritted teeth. She said, Pastor, I want you to know I didn't get nothing out of that worship. And he stood there for a minute and said, well, that's good. We weren't worshiping you. True worship humbles you and removes you from the throne of your heart and replaces God in His place. And when God is in His place, the anointing begins to flow. And when the anointing begins to flow, what does it do? It breaks. Everybody say it with me. It breaks the yoke. It's by its nature, by its compound, by the, by the spiritual composition of the nature of the anointing. It is designed to break the yoke, to bring hope where there is hopelessness, to bring freedom where there's bondage. The anointing is designed by God to heal the sick and liberate those that are bound and encourage the brokenhearted. When we worship God and quit worshiping ourselves, something powerful happens. The atmosphere changes. The culture changes. Our life changes. Without an evangelist to put their hands on your head and without someone to believe for you, suddenly in an environment where we are worshiping Him, powerful things begin to happen. Hallelujah. Worship, authentic God worship, is the antidote of idolatry. People have come to me before and say, but Dr. Brassfield, I'm struggling with addiction. I'm struggling with issues. I'm struggling with, with idolatry in my life, and I know what it is. What's the first step? I say, get in a room with some great worship music and start worshiping the Lord. Get in worship. Get in worship. Get in worship. Amen. There may be other issues that have to be worked out. I understand that. There may be, there may be complications that have, we have to have revelation from. But it all begins with a heart of worship. Because it's hard for you to worry and worship at the same time. Amen. When we worship, we invite heaven to invade our situation and go to war. Everybody say with me big and loud, worship is war. Soon, Trevo. Come on, devil. You say you're going to get my children? You say that you're going to rob my bank accounts? You say, well, let me tell you, I got something for you. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I will worship the Lord. I will ascend to his holy hill. I will pour out myself in his presence. That's what I got for you. You want some of that? I'll give you some of that. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his courts with praise. You want some of that? You want my children? Well, let me tell you, you got to come through. The praise of the Lord is beautiful, the psalmist said. Hallelujah. I'll soon trebo you, foul devil. 
In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when Judah was about to be overrun by the Moabites and the Ammonites, King Jehoshaphat sent the praisers and the musicians out in advance of the army. And when they began to say, God is good and His mercy endures forever. The Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. God ambushed. God ambushed the enemy. He ambushed the enemy. God will set an ambush for your enemy when you worship the Lord. Because why? It releases the anointing. And you know what the anointing does? It breaks the yoke. It heals. It delivers. It sets the captive free. It heals the brokenhearted. And finally, worship. The Bible says in Psalms 22 verse 3 that God is enthroned in our praise. The word enthroned is translated in some translations, inhabits. We've all quoted that, right? Well, God inhabits the praises of His people. And it's true. But did you know there are other places in the Scripture that that same Hebrew word is used? In Psalms chapter 9, verse 8, it's used of a judge who ascends to his bench and brings his gavel up and makes a decree. (laughs) Can I tell you, when you worship the Lord, The king, the judge of the universe, arises to his righteous bench and picks up the gavel and looks at all the accusations against you and all that's going on in your life and brings down his gavel and says, not guilty, free and released. Is anybody in this room, anybody in this room needed the judge of the universe to rule in your situation? Anybody in this room needs a righteous ruling from heaven's court? That's what worship will do for you. He'll soon trebo the devil when you worship. The judge of the universe will make a righteous decree over you. Think about that. When we praise and worship, we invite the judge of the universe to hold court and preside over our challenges. Begin your day with worship. Move your attention from the news of the day to the truth of the ages. Some of us watching too much news. I said some of us are watching too much news. And it's all different based on the channel you watch. Am I right? That's because everybody has an agenda. But I'll tell you somebody else has got an agenda. And that's the God of the universe. He's got an agenda. He wants you healed. He wants you free. He wants you happy. He wants you prosperous. So, yeah, you need to turn your attention from the news of the day to the truth of the ages. I'm not saying you shouldn't be informed. I'm just saying, and I know, Kath, don't, don't remind me when we get in the car. Well, you need to hear. Did you hear that? <laughs> click, click, click. You know what a remote control in a woman's hand means? She's seeing what's on, Right? You know what a remote control in a man's hand is? He's seeing what else is on. (laughs) Click, 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 click. Yeah. Instead of cursing the name of the things that put you in the mess you're in, bless the name of the King of glory and watch your circumstances begin to change. I got to finish. I got nine minutes. Let me finish this. The second soon trebo. <laughs> Thank you, darling. 
The second soon tree bowl move that you can have on the devil that will crush Satan underneath your feet is getting into the Word of God. Make a commitment this year that you're going to begin with worship and you're going to move quickly from worship to the Word. The psalmist says in Psalms 33 verse 4, the Word of the Lord is always right. He says in the passage before that, that the praise of the righteous is beautiful and the Word of the Lord is always right. How's that for a move? My, my martial arts brother, how's that for a move? Two steps. The praise of the righteous is beautiful. The word of the Lord is always right. <laughs> we have our opinions. Society has their norms and perspectives. But Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Decide that while you're going to get into the Word, that when you do, you're going to shift your position from what you think is right to what God's Word says is right. And this is, how, this is why it works. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew and Luke that the kingdom of heaven was like a woman who put a little bit of yeast into 60 pounds of flour. Just a little bit of yeast. And some of you are probably bakers and you could explain this better than me, but... Jesus said, listen, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. He said, it's like a woman, a baker, who puts a little bit of yeast in 60 pounds of flour and then leaves it. When they come back the next morning, the entire lump has been transformed and has been leavened by the presence of just a little bit of the kingdom of God. I want to say it this way. Some of you may be facing incredible challenges. You may be facing incredible obstacles. Some of you, it may be the things you're going through may be like 60 pounds of flour. And I'll tell you what, though. If you'll get just a little bit of the Word of God into that situation. If you'll get a little bit of the Word of God and then let it work. Come on, somebody say, let it work. If you'll get a little bit of the word in you. What did Jesus respond to the enemy when he came to him? Every time he tempted him, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Honestly, Jesus could have karate chopped the devil with a night lightning bolt. But he knew what would work. He knew what would work once and forever. It would be the word that the enemy couldn't argue with. What does God's word say about your finance? What does God's word say about your marriage? What does God's word say about things that you've been through? What does God's word say about your sinful past? Get that medicine. Make that soon trebo move into your life and then let the power of God change it. And I declare to you that this is how the Word of God works. Put it inside of you every day and it'll work on you and in you and through you and begin to destroy the yoke of bondage the enemy has tried to put on your life. The ideas which are often the, chain, the chains that hold us in bondage, the ideas that you're struggling with in your mind, the antidote for those ideas is the power of God's Word. Get it in your mind and as it gets in your mind, it will do its work. Get in step with what God's Word says and watch your heart begin to change. Get in line with what God's Word said. Watch your desires begin to change. 
get in line with the word of God and watch your values begin to be transformed to the values of God. This year, make your commitment to stand on God's side no matter what anybody says in your life, no matter what they say on the news, no matter what they say in Hollywood, no matter what they say in Washington, no matter what they say on Wall Street. Get the word of God in your life. Solomon said in Proverbs 19.21 that many are the plans of a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that will stand. Our plans have to give way to the incredible granite rock of His Word. It's God's Word that stood through ages and ages, through generation and generation. God's Word is anointed. And what does the anointing do? It breaks the yoke. One last move I want to give you today. Go ahead and stand with me. I'll give it to you on your feet. Because some of you might have to make a move. (laughs) Worship turns loose the anointing in our atmosphere. When we quit worshiping ourselves and start worshiping God. The word of God is anointed And its truth begins to break the fetters of lies and unbelief and untruth that have dominated so many of our lives. But the third move is just simple faith. Anybody in the room ever stepped out in faith and felt something? You know what you're feeling? Is the anointing that that faith released. When Naaman was told to dip in the water seven times, old muddy Jordan, he thought it was beneath him. And his servant said, what do you got to lose? Your hands are about to rot off. What do you got to lose? Nobody's watching but the prophet and me. He took that step of faith and dipped in that water. First time, nothing. Second time, nothing. Third time, nothing. Listen, sometimes you got to stand in your faith a little while. Fourth time, fifth time, nothing. Sixth time, nothing. But on that seventh time, when he came up out of the water, he looked at his hands and he thought, Oh, my God, they're, they're healed. This is the challenge. This is the move that I'm challenging you to make. Practice your faith this year. Worship the Lord. Begin your day with worship. Get quickly into the Word and then find something in your life that you can believe God for. Everybody say practice. You know how you get better? Through practice, right? You get better when you practice. The word, is, uh, the word hope is used in the balance of Psalms 33. A lot of this is coming out of Psalms 33 if you want to study it when you get home. The balance of that chapter, after he talks about the praise of the righteous being beautiful and the word of God being always right. The balance of that chapter, he talks a lot about hope. Hope is used, which is used simply uh, the active practice of faith. Faith is in, in your head, is hope in your heart. I said when you get faith in your head, hope will get in your heart. You're wanting hope before you've stepped out in faith. A lot of us do. But that's not how it works in the kingdom. Hope fills your heart. 
when you get faith in your head. This is, the, this is the progression that Ken Blanchard suggests in his book, Lead Like Jesus. He said, all good things begin in the head, move to the heart, then out through the hands, and then demonstrate themselves in the habits. This is how it works in the kingdom. It starts in your head. Okay, Lord, you said it. Your word says it. Ooh, I'm scared. I don't know. I don't uh. Okay, God, I'm going to believe you. And when you take that and you take that step, when the Israelites were about to cross the Jordan, God told them, I'll part the Jordan River so you can walk across. Let the Ark of the Covenant go first. And he says, when the priests step in the water, I'm going to shut the water off. Now, listen, the Red Sea, are y'all still okay? I got 32 seconds, so it's good. In the Red Sea, God parted the water. But when he parted the Jordan, it didn't happen that way. God shut the water off. 19 miles upstream the Bible says that the city of Adam Adam from Jericho was 19 miles upstream now listen we we live near a a trout stream that's controlled by a hydroelectric dam and I like to fish sometimes when they shut that dam off you can go down and fish and if you go down about 3 to 5 miles and they open the dam up you can get an additional 3 to 4 hours of fishing in before the water level begins to rise 3 to 5 miles imagine 19 miles Wow! those priests carrying that ark Pastor Bobby stepped into the water expecting it to part with a big wind instead it didn't part and you know how long it would have taken for 20 miles of water to stopped up there to change the water level where they were? Maybe 10 to 12 hours. 10 to 12 hours they're standing in the water with that Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. I'm going to tell you, if I'm Joshua up on the horse and I've told them that the water's going to stop and God's going to part it, I'm like... <clears throat> Two hours, three hours. Five hours. But I'll tell you this, after about 10 or 12 hours, when somebody looked, because it happens quick, see when it gets to you. I've been in that river where you couldn't almost get out of the riverbed before the water was up and over your head. And you'd been standing fishing and they had opened the gates three hours before. But when it gets to you, it's like a tsunami. So they'll sound horns to give you notice that it's coming. And that's probably how it happened that day as they were about to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. After hours and hours and hours of waiting, they did not realize they were standing in the waters of a miracle. Some of you have made up your mind you're going to trust God and you've stepped in the water. It's not always this way, but sometimes you've got to stand in the waters of a miracle for a while before you see the manifestation of what God's going to do in your life. It's okay. It's okay. Some of you are saying, why hadn't we got a building built? Why hadn't we seen this? Why hadn't we seen that? Well, listen, if you'll look past one layer into this ministry, God has steadily been working miracles. There is stuff happening and going on. And I'm going to prophesy that when it gets to you, it's going to be like a tsunami. And that thing's going to... Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes. 
worship the Lord and get into the Word and practice your faith and watch the yoke of bondage that the enemy's tried to put in your life be not just lifted off of you but broken and destroyed never to be used on you again in the mighty name of Jesus how many receive the word of the Lord today thank you for listening to the Covenant Life Center podcast if you enjoyed today's message then subscribe and follow us on social media at CLC Victoria connect with us by visiting our website clcvictoria.org